everyone. Welcome to Now Boarding, a new travel podcast by me, Payal Nair. This show aims at creating awareness about ecotourism, sustainable tourism, responsible travel, and a lot more. We will cover stories and journeys of people who are ecotourism specialists and those who are leaders in their field. We will also be talking to people who have had unique travel experiences, remarkable conceptual places to stay, unexplored cultures and ancient histories of various towns and cities around the world. Join me in this journey of knowing more about travel. Get inspired to see the world and discover your inner self. Hi everyone, today I'm in conversation with Malika Naburan. Malika is originally from Singapore, but has been living in beautiful Tasmania, and we're going to find out how that came about. She is a practitioner in environmental strategy, corporate sustainability, environmental management. She's also the founder of Gaia Discovery, which is a nonprofit online publication and Gaia Consult Global. So that is like, you know, an introduction, which to me is very, very impressive. And I can't wait to hear your journey and everything that you have to talk about ecotourism and, you know, the impact of the the current situation as it comes or with reference to environment. So thank you so much for joining me today, Malika. You're welcome. It's my honor and pleasure to be on your new podcast series, Payal. Thank Thank you you very much for doing this. Thank you so much. Okay, so Malika, like I mentioned in the introduction, I would, you know, love to hear what brought you to Tasmania and how many years ago was that? Yes, so I was born in Singapore and born and raised in Singapore. And, you know, I spent a few decades in Singapore. And a few years ago, I felt that uh, I needed a change of environment and to be closer to nature because I had been doing a lot of writing and reflection. So I just needed to move to somewhere that's Um, has a lot less people and where there's a lot more uh, natural areas to discover. And so, you know, I moved to Tasmania around maybe five years ago and never really looked back. But having said that, Singapore is still my home, which I travel to, to visit my family, my two children, who are pretty grown up now. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them because it's been nearly two years since the COVID had kind of put the borders between countries in a very firm and, well, preventive way, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, all of us are going through a similar situation. So how did your journey as an environmental practitioner actually come about? And what were the reasons for you to to head in that direction? Yeah, that's an interesting question, because I've always been a city girl uh, growing up. With the frequent trips to Malaysia to visit my grandparents, so they lived in a rubber estate. So I got to have a sense of uh, what the village life was like, you know, just my taste of nature whenever we went to Malaysia. But Singapore largely is an urban area um, where there's a lot of priority and, 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 and emphasis on progress and development. So I had worked in corporate communications, in publishing, mostly in the uh, corporate environment, and 
after some time, I decided that I needed to get back to writing, which I really loved. So I did some freelance writing and I wrote about uh, my travels. And, you know, it was really nice because as a journalist, travel journalist, you get hosted to pretty places, you know, as far away as the Maldives, you know, and um, you come back and you write a beautiful glossy story, you know, for the publisher. So during this time, I was doing it for nearly two years uh, as a freelance writer. I went to quite a few places where I saw that, you know, amidst the the luxury accommodation, there are areas where they could do with some help, where local communities were not really part of the whole dynamic tourism scene. In fact, um, there was one particular instance I remembered where the beach in front of the resort was so beautiful and, and clear, but locals were not allowed into the that area. But when you step out of the zone, you see all the junk and the pollution on the beach, you know? So it just got me thinking what's happening. And I wanted to write about this strange phenomenon, you know, like it's not really, tourism is not really something that's that's managed very well, you know, maybe we should be talking about sustainable tourism, but the editors weren't very keen to receive such stories. So after a while, I thought, you know, I need, I really need to write about sustainable tourism, ecotourism. And I looked around, I couldn't find any where I could send my stories to. And that's when it occurred to me, maybe I could start my own publication. So that's how Gaia Discovery came about. And that was in 2008. And yeah, since then, we have hundreds of articles written not only about sustainable tourism, but sustainable living and development. So I have a team of people helping me with that. And yeah, so Guide Consult is essentially something that we do to help businesses realize their environmental goals. So through advisory training or communication. So it's kind of a consult uh, that we give, whereas Guide Discovery is really about telling stories. Sharing the stories, yeah. Do you think enough is being done? I mean, obviously, we can't look at the entire globe, but closer to where we are, do you think there is enough of an awareness and enough being done? What kind of, like you you mentioned, uh, you gave an example just a little while ago. So are there some examples? I think that would be a more interesting way of, and you mentioned that yourself, a more interesting way of actually, rather than it being generic, for the viewers and the listeners to, to mm. actually get an understanding. Mm. So, you know, what kind is enough being done is actually my question to you in this part of the world. So is it being done to promote to, sustainable tourism? Or to ecotourism? promote ecotourism? Is right. it not being done towards creating an awareness about how important it is for the environment to, yeah, to, sure. you know, to be sustainable? Mm. Yes, um, I would say that in the last decade especially with the awareness of climate change and what we need to do to mitigate climate change. I think that has been one of the main precursors to environmental education in tourism. Um, There's several international organizations that are putting their weight behind it, you know, like the United Nations World Tourism Organization. And we have some networks as well. So people, industry leaders have come together and said, okay, these are the standards. This is what we would like to share with the 
tourism operators who want to be in ecotourism. So this is what you need to get, you know, in your plan. So essentially, ecotourism is, you know, I'd say, you, you know, it's like nature tourism, but more, you know, ecotourism. Because is, it also involves communities, right? Local communities. Yes. So the economy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's Engage, right. Yeah. Correct. No, yeah, I get yeah. yeah. So ecotourism essentially is responsible travel to natural areas that seek to uh, conserve the environment, to sustain the well-being of the local people. And there's a third component, which is really about improving the knowledge and understanding and education of all involved. So it's not just the tourists, but all visitors. They, it's also about the staff, you know, staff and the people living in there. So ecotourism really serves to heighten what natural tourism or nature-based tourism is. So there is coming back to the awareness there are more travelers i'll say the travelers are more aware of the need to be careful when they travel and to minimize the environmental footprint however um, that's that's where you know it, it should go even uh, higher than that to consider the needs of the local communities so for instance you know if they have traditions right ancient cultural practices Right. So that tourism should seek to build around it and in fact to enhance it rather than to crush it, you know. And travelers do go a long way, for example, to see that happening, to support that. Yeah. So I, I, I'd say that a lot of there are interesting ecotourism tours that have been introduced, you know, uh, that uh, seek to combine all, all of that. Okay. So, so my question was going to be, you know, is there enough dialogue and understanding within the Asia Pacific region on sustainability? But I guess your answer to that is that yes, there is now starting to be a lot of conversations and, you know, and people are actually stepping in and trying to make make a difference. Correct? Yes. yes. So, so from from the industry perspective, like there's the global ecotourism network and then which, like I said, you know, brings operators together and tries to share knowledge and standards. So there's also the Asian ecotourism network, okay. which brings together Asian tourism, so ecotourism practitioners, academics, industry people, policymakers that also serve to set certain standards in the Asian context. So, for instance, and I'm part of the Asian Ecotourism Network representing Singapore. For instance, uh, we have introduced standards for accommodation. So, this would be Asian ecotourism standards. So, and this is... Yeah, so what would that mean when you say that specifically for accommodation, what is it that has been introduced? What is it that is being done? Yeah. So if you wanted to open a resort, for example, you could use these uh, standards and checklists to implement measures and uh, put in place practices that would uh, minimize your environmental footprint and maximize community involvement and uh, visitor enjoyment. So, you know, it looks into almost a whole suite of things from energy, water, waste, to even you know um, like how you do you, how do your your visitors uh, get there you know um, and what do they leave with 
So this, this is from industry perspective, but coming back to your question about is there enough dialogue? I think travelers are pretty much more conscious now about where they want to stay. And some of them actively seek out sustainable accommodation, for instance, or sustainable operators, you know, and they, you know, so when, when some of them look up for certification, for instance, and um, this is something that travelers know now that that's part of their responsibility, you know, to being accountable to climate change and environmental degradation. So I'm quite positive about the whole ecotourism scene taking off in a bigger way once we can all travel again. <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's starting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Gradually, yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so do you think that these changes or, you know, these responsible way of travel, do you think it needs to happen sooner than later? I mean, because do you think, you know, because climate change as is a discussion which at the moment is absolutely, you know, critical, right? Yes. And so do you think that should we like, let's be specific about Asia Pacific, should we be giving like a timeline to say that, okay, you know, the impact should the positive impact should actually come within the next five years it should be seen and visible and appreciated. Yeah. is there some That's, kind of a timeline there yeah I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because you kind of put a sense of urgency right in yes, yes. Um, in our actions right so actions collectively make a change right in yeah. society, right? So I think with in relation to the environmental issues that we are facing, for instance, climate change, and also the loss of biodiversity that comes with climate change, and also with other anthropogenic actions, for example, deforestation, overfishing, hunting, for example, you know, I think there is urgency really to for tourism to embrace sustainability uh, in a bigger way and a direct way. So because we really need to look into what we have lost in terms of natural habitats. And we have been seeing, we have been reading about species extinction or species becoming threatened. And we have been seeing how birds are migrating in a different way, you know. So through tourism, if managed well, we could actually address all of those, right? So one important aspect of ecotourism is really management of uh, natural uh, resources or natural resource management. And this is what ecotourism is all about, the true ecotourism, not nature-based tourism, but ecotourism, yeah. which seeks to conserve the environment. And if we think about the word conserve, it doesn't mean just leave, leave nature as it is. It really means where is it lacking? You know, think like Malaysia, Indonesia, how palm plantation has taken over the area that was once upon a time forests, right? and the impact of that on the wildlife. So we sometimes we find that there are operators who purchase or the land just to keep them and to make sure that 
the certain species are planted to bring back certain kinds of butterflies, for example, mm-hmm. or to bring the bees back so that they can pollinate flowers, you know? Yeah, so an instance is in Sukau, in Sabah, Borneo Eco Tours and Sukau Eco Lodge. They actively seek to use land and to, to implement measures to bring wildlife back to what it was before, right? Because it's surrounded by palm plantation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So, so that's one example. And the other example I can give you is a Misu Eco Resort. Where is that? Yeah, that's an amazing resort in Raja Ampat. It's, it's rather remote. I think it's about like 100, the nearest town is 165 kilometers away. And to get there, you have to fly into Sorong, which is the northern tip of Indonesia. I think it's Sulawesi. And from there, you take a boat. So it's interesting to see what Misu Eco Resort has done. So it's essentially a dive resort, but of course, you could go there without having needing to dive. But what the owners have done, Marit Miner, that's her name, and husband, I think it's Andrew Miner. So they have invested in building resort resorts with low impact, hiring locals, and really protecting the marine area because it was all prone to overfishing. Sharks were being fished, you know, and 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 so on. So they established, uh, they helped establish a marine park. And this was in 2005. But now, apparently, the biodiversity is great. So let me just quote you from Dr. Mark Erdman. He's a marine biologist. Uh, he's the vice president of Conservation International, Asia-Pacific Marine Program. He says that Misu represents one of the most pristine reef systems left on the earth, one of only a handful of places in the universe where biodiversity is improving rather than declining. This episode of Now Boarding a Travel and Tourism podcast is supported by Podcast Melting Pot Collection, which is an inspiring podcast series covering journeys of culturally diverse and passionate individuals. And it also envisions to be a leading platform for motivational storytelling that inspires listeners from all walks of life. So how do they do that? They channel some funds from what they receive, the tourism revenues, into uh, managing the marine park, which means hiring locals to become patrolmen, learning to captain the boats, going out, looking out for poachers, you know, and um, reporting them, you know. So it's a lot of work. Ecotourism is not easy. It's not for the faint-hearted, yeah. you know, but the rewards are plenty, you know, and, you know, through the revenues earned, they are, they're able to protect the environment employ locals and give visitors the kind of paradisal getaway that they dream of. So Mm -hmm. it really is like a full solution. Yeah. So that's the beauty of ecotourism. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's interesting when you're also able to give specific examples so that, Mm. you know, people who are listening in or, or watching this interview will, will actually kind of have that, in mind and yeah no yeah so there are people who are actually actively concerned and you know and are doing whatever they're able to within their scope 
to, mm. to try and that difference. So, you know, mm-hmm. so it's very encouraging to mm-hmm. hear that. And um, it's also interesting, you know, to, to, to see how your publication is has articles, you know, like contributed by so many different practitioners, right? So, so what, like, what is the reach of your publication? And, and what is it that you're trying to establish is not the right word, but what is it that you're you're trying to achieve through your publication? Sure, sure. You know, when I started uh, Gaia Discovery, I I realized that we were on a certain path, which is not normal. You see, uh, most media will want to report on something that's new. You know, the newspapers will want to report on what's the headline news, you know. So it's something newsworthy, but the approach that we've taken is to report on something that's noteworthy, mm-hmm. okay? That's so, huge so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So what we do is through Gaia Discovery, we highlight people who are making a difference. So can be rather, you know, um, ordinary people like a, sh- like a chef or, or a volunteer or a, even we had conservationist. And it could even be uh, a Nobel Peace Laureate. You know, we've interviewed climate change scientists and the president of Timor-Leste, a former president of Timor-Leste, uh, Dr. Jose Ramos Horta, who was really keen on ensuring that he had sustainable tourism running, uh, going happening in, in Timor-Leste, you know. Um, and we also write about the planet, but we focus on solutions, okay? We I don't. that's we, what's important because, right. you know, there's a lot of blah, 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 and okay, you know. Uh, <laughs> all but, gloom, oh, all yeah. gloom and doom. And doom, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but you need, if there's no solution, then... It's, it's endless. It's like a, you know, yes. it, it, it's got, I mean, where does it go? So I think the fact that through your publication, through all these people that you're talking to, yeah. you're looking at finding solutions, I think that's a huge, huge yeah. step. Yeah. So for instance, uh, we have an amazing Filipino writer, Henry Tassio. He's prolific, you know, and he just writes about the environmental solutions on so many issues, like mostly agricultural or on uh, aquamarine, you know, um, dwindling fishes and and so on, you know. And there's so many hits. Um, we have people from more from more than 100 countries visiting Gaia Discovery every single day, yeah. and we have around million hits view viewership or traffic, you know, a year. And we have subscribers to which we to whom we send our newsletters and they appreciate the articles that we write. So this is started uh, um, because of passion and we want to tell the story. So the purpose of Gaia Discovery is really to tell the story behind something incredible, something special that no one quite has heard of. So we try to we try to talk to say the inventor or we look at comparative solutions. So if you visit Gaia Discovery, for instance, you can find that we have a few articles written about uh, using waste material for beneficial use. For instance, one of the recent articles is using pineapple waste, waste from pineapple metal to making clothes, right? So so that's a byproduct of pineapple that's in the Philippines. And, and so someone's, someone's actually doing that? Yes, yes. Mm, wow. And get this, Kyle, would you like to 
eat an ice cream that has plastic matter in it. So therein, there's a, scientists have discovered a certain ingredient like a, a vanilla from recycled plastics that can be used in food and it's food grade, you know, standard. Wow. So, yeah, so, you know, we think, we think, wow, you know, and we want to write about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you should write about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. So we also cover, we also write about festivals, focusing on culture, tradition. You know, we just want to have people think that sustainable living is fun. It's to be celebrated. You know, it's not gloom, gloom and doom. And it's not for someone else to fix. It's for everyone, everyone. to fix, for yeah. you and me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think each one of us in, in whatever, mm. I think whatever way possible, we should be able to contribute. I mean, that, that's the reason why I decided to, you know, to uh, start my new show, Now Boarding, because, I mean, obviously it's just like a drop in the ocean where, like what you're doing with your publication. I would be, you know, I, I'm having conversations with people like yourself, people who are actually, you know, who are involved, who are, who are leaders in what they're doing, and who are making a difference. And if my platform is able to reach out to even a handful of people, you know, convert it into an engagement, I think I would have contributed. So that's, oh, yeah. yeah. So I think every single, so you don't have to be an environmentalist to do it. No. You don't have to be like a leader in sustainability. I think if you have a platform which you think can speak to others, that's what makes the difference. So absolutely, absolutely. It's it's people like you, you know, with your program, uh, now boarding, that would further increase awareness and, and give new new ways of doing things. I think information is so important. Yeah. And, and, and whatever uh, avenues, you yes. know, can be used to share it, I think, yeah. is, is, it does make a lot of difference. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Tasmania, I mean, I've been there, and you can drive from one end to the other in like a day. And so I can completely understand why uh, you, you chose to move there. <laughs> so what are some of the, you know, before I wrap up our conversation, what are some of the, some things that you can pinpoint about Tasmania that you feel, you know, is, is, is close to nature, is, is sort of helping keep the state away from, you know, the, the regular cities and, and all of that, because I know a lot, Hobart is the capital, right? Lons, that's yes. right. Yeah. yeah, that's up in the north. Yes. That's right. I mean, that's where I I was, but then I did drive from one East end West. of the state yeah. to the other. Yeah, yes. and it was absolutely pristine. Mm. So, mm. so yeah. So is that what attracted you to Tasmania? Mm. Yeah, I think I think it's just the you know when I visited Tasmania, I felt that there was some something deeper, you know, rather than it just being a pretty place. So it was a bit of a spiritual connection and I can't explain it, you know. So it really felt like home. So when I came back the second time, I still felt that way. And I'm quite well-traveled. Yeah, so I thought I'll just stay and see what it's like, you know. And I made it happen. And 
I must say that I'm I'm really loving it. There are challenges because it's very cold, and uh, especially when you live down south in Hobart, you know, because we're very close to the Antarctic uh, area, you know, and we get the blast of the Antarctica. Uh, you also get seals and penguins and all that, you know, those are the perks. But yeah, coming back to your statement, I think Tasmania is very proud of what uh, we have here. Tasmanians, they, you know, we seek to uh, protect um, our wildlife. So we're very, very um, conscious of tour-based tour uh, tourism programs and the issues that might might affect some kind of wildlife. And, you know, there's also a lot of emphasis on like walking, walking tours and bike tours and just living the good life, you know. So yeah, so it's it's amazing. Everyone should come to visit Tasmania. <laughs> yeah. I Interestingly, we, we hardly had any COVID cases. And so for more than a year, we have been enjoying the beauty of just not wearing masks and walking around and having events and festivals. That's I guess that's what happens when you live on an island. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, you're, you're enjoying that. Mm-hmm. And it's just been so wonderful talking to you, Malika. Thank yeah. you for sharing yeah. all the, you know, interesting, the different aspects and you yeah. know, a better understanding to, to the viewers and the listeners. And, and if I might, if I might add, you know, just, you know, some parting words to travellers. So if you are looking to uh, travel again, you know, um, try to pick up a sustainable place. Like ask, you know, if you're booking up, try to ask ask some questions about their sustainability philosophy, you know, how do they... And if you, you know, when you travel to a place and you find that they're still using plastic straws, just say, you know, uh, it'd be nice if you could use paper straw, yeah. you know. Or, so as consumers, we have the power to make the change. And it all starts with drawing uh, awareness to it and requesting very politely, could you do it in a different way? So that's how tourism can make a difference. Absolutely. I know that's that advice, I'm sure, well taken. Thank you so much again, Malika. I really welcome you. And forward to seeing you next year in Singapore. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much. Or in Tasmania. Or in Tasmania. I'd love to come back. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Now Boarding, a travel podcast. Check out other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And of course, don't forget to share your thoughts with us. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes only on Now Boarding, a travel podcast.